Cosmos Science, news, magazine, podcasts, video and features. Welcome to Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. We can use nature to mitigate the impacts of flooding. But those once in 50 year events are now becoming the once in 10 year events. We are introducing a massive fire risk. We really would like to know what the truth of the matter is. So that's a, an absolute game changer. Hello everyone, this is Jamie Seidel for Cosmos Country. Today, we are talking about a development in aviation, the use of liquid ammonia as fuel. Joining me today is another member of the Cosmos team, Marie Lowe. Hello, Marie. Hello, Jamie. How are you today? Very well, thank you. That's good. We've heard a bit recently about the development of hydrogen as an aviation fuel in Australia, with a race towards takeoff expected over the next six to 12 months. But one company is looking at an alternative. Yes, Jamie. The company is called Aviation H2. It's an Australian company, and I believe the goal is to become Australia's first hydrogen-fuelled aviation company, and construction of the first modification prototype is underway. Now, they've done a feasibility study, and they are leaning towards, or they are definitely heading towards, liquid ammonia as the fuel. Which brings us to today's Country Cosmos guest, Aviation H2 Director, Dr Helmut Meyer. Hello, Dr Meyer. Uh, Hello, Jamie, and hello, Marie. Good morning. So how viable is liquid ammonia as a fuel and what does it take to make it so? Liquid ammonia is an an excellent hydrogen carrier. It contains a lot of hydrogen for the volume of space that it takes up and we can can, um, transport ammonia much more easily than we can transport pure hydrogen either in its gaseous or in its liquid form. Hydrogen, for example, if, if we use it as a gas, we need to compress it very, very heavily to about 700 bar, which is a lot of pressure, so that we can have enough hydrogen in the tanks for an aircraft to fly in. Or we need to carry it in the liquid form, which means we have to make it very cold, like minus 253 degrees C. Now, these these things are all technologically possible, but they do come with a penalty for weight in the transport infrastructure that has to be on board the plane. Ammonia also has a little bit of a penalty, but it requires lesser cooling and lesser pressure and so the weight infrastructure required to carry it on board the plane is is less. Some of the comparisons are really quite extraordinary. Having done some stories in the past on the potential of hydrogen as a fuel for cars, the comparison for non-compressed, non-super-cooled hydrogen in comparison to a full tank of fuel that weighs about one kilogram, but it takes up the volume, roughly the equivalent of a tub on the back of a cement truck. So clearly hydrogen in its um, pure non-cooled form is probably only really viable for industrial use. Does that sound about right? Technology is advancing dramatically. And since since hydrogen cars first came out, we now have hydrogen tanks that we can use to pressurise the gas to make the volume much, much smaller. But it does require a lot of pressure. So even though we have very, very light tanks now with amazing technology, um, they're still too heavy for us to use on the plane. The ammonia is a lot easier to manage and a lot easier to carry. It's not without risks, but it's very, it's actually very similar to LPG gas. Well, what are those risks, if, if you don't mind us asking? In certain forms, and specifically in small droplets floating around a body of air, it is toxic. 
uh, damage the lungs. So something that we need to be careful of is that we don't create that circumstance about the plane on the air airport, for example. Now, this might happen if, for example, we uh, we have a flame out and the fuel blows out the back of the engine, but we have controls in place to stop that from happening. Very similar, but much reliable to your gas stove turning itself off if there's no gas, if, if the flame goes out. Right? So don't blow gas into the kitchen. This doesn't mean that it's not doable. It's very doable because one of the things about this these droplets is that they evaporate very quickly and become safer. There's ways that we can manage these risks. There's very good technological ways to manage these risks. The bigger problem that we have is to make sure that the uh, ammonia burns properly in the in the combustion chamber of gas turbine through the range of conditions in which it has to burn. So you've probably heard of the term flame out when jets fly and they pull too many Gs or they fly through cloud, volcanic clouds or something or whatever. Like there are situations where the flame goes out. And we need to make sure that the ammonia burns in all the conditions that we need and that the flame out is controlled in the normal manner. There's a lot of differences between ammonia or any hydrogen fuel and fossil fuels, like um, in the case of gas turbines, it's, it's kerosene or JLA or JLA-1. The JLA-1 is a very convenient fuel. And the more work we do, the, the, the clearer that becomes. It's, it's so easy to work with by comparison, but it's on the way out. It has to be on the way out quickly. We need to get rid of it quickly. That's the issue. We can't keep blowing carbon into the air. It does mean that we have to work harder to have the fuels on board the planes and other situations. Um, but that's what we're about, is we're developing the technology to make all that possible and to make it feasible. It's not as though kerosene is exactly an easy fuel to handle either. While it might be more difficult to handle your ammonia in terms of refueling and with issues like flame out, having kerosene fumes floating around a hangar, for example, isn't exactly safe either. So in many ways, you're replacing one set of safety features with another set of safety features. It's not as though you're going from an absolutely perfect scenario to a incredibly difficult scenario, or is it? No, no, I think you're absolutely right. Now, um, it gets talked about a lot. We have a lot less concerns about it ourselves. You know, we know a lot about what we have to do. We have a lot of, we know a lot about the technology that we need to use. We are speaking with people that are using the ammonia industrially and industrial quantities. They have these issues all the time. And um, you know, modern technologies are very good at controlling these risks. There's no question about it. One question I was posed the other day is what 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 happens if a plane's about to crash and you've got the tanks full of ammonia? And what what are the risks? And I said, well, look, uh, that that is risky, but at the same time, you have any sort of plane, especially these days, carbon fiber planes that's about to crash. That's a problem. It's not a good situation. How far along are you with this process? We are preparing to test the ammonia flame in a small engine, a small gas turbine engine that we have in our workshop. Our objective is to come up with a conversion kit that allows us to make an existing jet run on ammonia without having to change the core of the engine. So the, the compressor, the fan blades, the combustion chamber, we don't touch. The only thing that would change is the fuel system, the fuel supply system, and the fuel control system. And the, the reason for that is that our objective is to provide a means for existing jet owners to be able to make the conversion. What size plane are you talking about there? We're talking about business jets. So narrow body jets, if you like. One of the things that gets said a lot is that, you know, um, if we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050, a car's on the road for 15 years, we need to have the technology ready by 2035. The issue is that planes tend to be kept in the air for a lot longer than that. So 
you, you spend you know, $20 million on a plane, you don't get rid of it after 15 years. You're listening to Cosmos Country. I'm Glenn Morrison, regular presenter based in Alice Springs and Bantua on Aranda Country. I fell in love with Australia's red heart in the late 90s and never left. Now I'm thrilled to help tell the stories of regional Australians as we all prepare for the challenges of climate change ahead. Going beyond the city limits to find bush innovations, clever ideas, indigenous know-how. That's Cosmos Country. Well, I suppose it's the same for um, your average outback station owner who has the Cessna parked in the shed out the back and a dirt strip. It's not like they can upgrade those every uh, 15 years. No, that's exactly right. So um, I think there will be a lot of call for this. And we need to keep it as simple as possible. And we, we are of the view that we can do that. And the, the view is based on studies that we've done and also on experimentation that's been done overseas by other people. When do you think we'll see the first jets in the air that are fueled by liquid ammonia? Well, we'll plan out a project that will have the first plane flying with an engine burning ammonia within 18 months of us getting the full funding for the project. That's the objective. There will need to be certification after that. And we're preparing the certification plan for that as we're as we're doing the project to to make this conversion. We think you know within three to five years we should have plane commercially flying on ammonia. So what's the trade-off uh, looking like so far? Obviously the burn rate and the burn temperature sounds like it balances out to give a fairly equal performance to normal aviation fuel. But then, as you mentioned earlier, you've got um, it's, you do still need some extra control and tanking facilities around it so you know are we looking at uh, what uh, a potential performance drop in aircraft or do you think it will end up being pretty close that is actually a 64 million dollar question now the the big issue is although the 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 engine will perform identically to a kerosene engine the something called the stoichiometric ratio which is the the amount of fuel that needs to mix in with the air for the burn is what we need to achieve in the combustion chamber. And to achieve that, we need to have two and a half times the amount of liquid ammonia compared with liquid kerosene. So that means we need to have more fluid on board the plane for the same range. And while, while the thrust and the um, energy performance of the, of the engine will not change, the range may change. Because of the nature of business jets, what we're actually doing is we're designing it so that we can run the system on either ammonia or jet air one. So you can take your plane, fuel it up with ammonia at an airport that you that's got it. Say you're flying a jet from Frankfurt to London, you fly ammonia backwards and forwards, but say you now take it to New York. That's possibly in the first instance too far to go with the um with the ammonia. So you fuel it up with jet air one and fly the jet air one across. Or you fly to a remote airport somewhere in northern Africa, you can't get ammonia at the airport there. You fill it up with Jet one and fly back. But you have the opportunity, the possibility to fly carbon-free fuel whenever you have the opportunities. So you can't walk before you crawl and you can't run before you walk. I, I guess that, that is part of the problem with the whole energy transition process is that people sort of expect science and engineers to produce a fully formed solution um, out of thin air. Yes, that's right. And don't we all wish that, but that's just not how it's going to happen. Now, there, are, there are other efforts going on. Um, for example, some of the airliners and some of the big engine manufacturers, they are developing new engines that run on hydrogen. And 
that's what will happen for new aircraft. But that will also take time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, it, it will take a decade at least to get those sort of engines up and running and certified. Obviously, the good thing about the ammonia is that the molecule doesn't carry any carbon, but it does carry nitrogen. And while you might immediately think that, okay, nitrogen makes up 78% of the Earth's atmosphere, why is that a problem? Well, I guess the problem is, is that when you burn the ammonia, not all of the nitrogen comes out as pure nitrogen. It comes out, as you say, as nitrogen oxide and or nitrous oxide. And most people don't know what that means. Well, what it means is smog. It means acid rain. It means spilled ammonia, means unbalanced ecosystems, things like um, algal blooms. So ammonia itself isn't necessarily a wonder fuel after all. And nitrous oxide, here's the clincher, is 300 times more potent as a climate greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide itself. So when you talk about controlling the uh, nitrous oxide, emissions and reburning it i'm particularly interested in um, finding out how much of that is reduced and what sort of exhaust fumes are produced by the process yes uh, i mean to me the the need for controlling the nitrous oxide goes hand in hand with making the conversion there's no question about it the, the current jet one engines produce the nitrous oxides because of the nitrogen in the air that they used to burn trucks diesel trucks Diesel engines produce the nitrous oxides, so it's all it's all there. But we have the opportunity by using ammonia to break to break down those nitrous oxides in the engine. Right now, experiments overseas have shown that by doing that, we can break down the nitrous oxide levels to a third of what the maximum levels acceptable are in the current European legislation. That's very successful, and that's early early days, if you like. So we we have very high hopes that we can control this. And it is important to us that we can do that without having to do anything extra special to the aircraft and by having the ammonia on board the plane already. What's the game here for Aviation H2? What are you hoping will come out of this? We are a technology development company. We, we are among the people who are going to create the technologies that are going to use the carbon-free fuels. So you have companies, and already in Australia, you have companies that are building infrastructure to produce the fuels, so hydrogen and ammonia, and to ship them overseas as an export, a bit like we're exporting coal and iron ore right now. But that's not enough on its own, because if there's nobody there to actually use that fuel, then there's no point in exporting it. So there has to be both the production of the resources, as well as the use of the resources. And we're on the side of producing or developing the technologies to use those resources. One of the big benefits of developing what we're developing now is that we can transfer it directly to power production. Uh, we can take the principles that we're developing for burning ammonia in gas turbines and take them straight into gas turbines that generate power. And not only that, but we can use electrical technologies that we're using elsewhere to make that process highly efficient. So for us as a small company, we're not a company that is into scaling this to the full scale of its potential, but we may on-sell the technology to other companies who are in the position to scale this, or we might license it. That depends on what people are asking for. And in the short term, you're looking at those conversion kits for people with smaller jets? Yes, that's right. Do you think they'll be affordable for people who've got, what, one or two or five or ten jets? Yes, I, I think it will be because we are we are making sure that we don't 
become too complicated with the conversion. So you now one of the key ideas is that we do not try to change the core of the engine. Because once you do that, you really may as well throw it out and get another one. And that's expensive. All right. Well, I think we've pretty much run out of time for today. I'd like to thank Marie and our guest, Dr. Helmut Meyer from Aviation H2 for joining us today. Given the size of the industry, the need for an effective green aircraft fuel is certainly a pressing one. You've been listening to Cosmos Country and we thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. You've been listening to Cosmos Country, a look at how regional Australia is preparing for and adapting to climate change. Cosmos Country is supported by the Walkley Foundation and Meta. For more information and to listen to the whole series of Cosmos Country podcasts, visit the website, cosmosmagazine.com.